individual. Back in the early 1990s, the animated show Ren and Stimpy broke cable ratings records and was beloved by a generation of fans. Its creator was celebrated as a visionary, but in the documentary premiere of Happy Happy Joy Joy, filmmakers show that while the creator was responsible for this vision, dozens of artists and network executives also really deserve credit for the show's popularity. In the studio to tell us more about their film, I have the directors Ron Cicero and Kimo Easterwood. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Did I get your names right, Kimo? Yes, yes. Uh, I'm Ron. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> okay. We speak as one voice. So, yeah. uh. All right, so I'm guessing that, that you guys are huge fans of Ren and Stimpy. Is that what, how this all came about? Uh, we actually weren't fans of the show. So uh, I had never seen an episode before we started this journey onto this documentary. We are now fans, but uh, when we first started this documentary, I had never seen an episode and Ron maybe saw one episode. Right. How did it come about? Uh, so a friend of mine who's actually in the documentary uh, named Todd White, he was friends with the creator of the show. And I had been shooting some short documentaries and he knew I was doing that. So he's like, you, you need to go do a documentary on this guy. He's like this crazy guy that had this crazy show. You guys should do it. And uh, Ron, you know, the timing worked out because Ron was looking to get into something a little more creative than what he was doing. And uh, we just kind of came together and said, let's do this thing. So, so it, John, how do I say his last name? Chris Felusi. Chris Felusi. Okay. All right. Um, you know, he reminds me of um, kind of that uh, gonzo artist, Ralph Steadman, right? I mean, it, you know, just it's just so busy. Lots, <laughs> lots going on. And yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about um, how, if anybody's unfamiliar with this, and I kind of was telling Katie off, off air my story. I mean, it was always in the background, <laughs> and I can remember when I saw the documentary, oh, I know who this is, but I had no idea what it was about. I was a little horrified that, as a mother, I was letting my <laughs> kid watch this. But right, sure. Get, describe it for us, if you would. Yeah, sure. So if, if you think of Adult Swim today, this was really the spawn of Adult Swim. It has very adult themes and adult humor, but it's hidden within a children's cartoon. What makes this cartoon so extraordinary is it came out in the early 90s before Beavis and Butthead, before South Park, before that really subversive adult humor uh, that you now regularly see. I mean, uh, because you see so much Adult Swim and, and that type of cartoons, you don't even give it a second thought. But back then, it was absolutely revolutionary. And so that's what – it was actually the artwork that attracted us because it really is extraordinary on so many different levels. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the creator of the cartoon. Um, his behavior is said to be legendary. And, and I guess I would say there's a very fine line between – genius and and crazy is that how, how, how would you describe describe John well um, we got to know John over the course of six months so the, we finished the first version of the film we it was done we had a version of the film which he was not in because he had refused to be interviewed he's very private has done very few interviews over the last 20 years so we did this film that celebrated the cartoon series without him in it, and then the news broke about the Me Too movement. So we had to scrap our entire first film and redo it. Fortunately, in that time when the Me Too uh, news broke, John then agreed to be interviewed. So it really did transform the film. And John is somebody that is absolutely obsessed with cartoons. We say, oh, well, I'm obsessed with 
this uh, this artist or this. No, you don't understand. John lives and breathes cartoons from the moment he wakes up until the moment he goes to sleep. And when we first met him, he sat us down to watch a cartoon, and that's how we started our conversation. That was your bonding moment? That was our bonding moment. Yeah, we, we said two or three words to him and immediately went and watched a cartoon. It was, it was like, hi, hi. And then we just went into a room and just watched a cartoon. That's his icebreaker. <laughs> That's right. Well, I think it's interesting that that neither of you were super fans of Ren and Stimpy. I never, it's not my style. It's not something I ever watched. And so I thought, oh, gosh, I've, I'm going to watch this documentary. I'm not really into this. But I think that that's important for people to know that whether you know anything about it, the the impact it had on animation to come is huge. And and the people that were involved in this era were were um, also revolutionary. And and to to really get an inside look on their relationships, that whole um, that whole time, like you really captured that. I was curious too with uh, your choice of classical music and the juxtaposition there. I thought that was quite uh, powerful. Yeah, well, from early on, we kind of knew we wanted to go with classical music just because that was the soundtrack for Ren and Stimpy. Um, it's mostly classical, and then there's some odder stuff in there, but it was all vintage classical. And then they uh, they did original music for the show as well. But um, it just it just seemed to fit, you know. It just seemed to fit that that theme. Um, you know, classical music is very emotional. And it's very powerful. So. Um, it worked for just a lot of this. Just it just worked. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, that's how I learned all my classical music from early yeah. cartoons, right? Yeah, right. Fractured sure. fairy I mean, it was all kind of a classical sure. music was, yeah. background. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but back back to the the creator. Um, gosh, you have such a much better film yeah. as a result of talking to him because um, just the the early childhood um, story of of him really kind of explains. Um, a lot that's that's going on. I mean, I guess you guys feel really kind of fortunate that you had that opportunity. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, we, we hate to say it. It sounds very opportunistic, but ultimately we could tell a much deeper story, not only about the show, but yeah. also about, of course, John. And then also, you know, those questions of art versus artist. Uh, we see trauma and how that manifests itself, both in terms of driving somebody to these professional perfectionistic tendencies, which can create great art, but it can also create a lot of pain along the way, both with the people that surrounded John, his co-workers, his co-artists, but also outside of that. And then what happens when you take that vehicle away, how that, that behavior can be very self-destructive. I'm curious, there are so many broken relationships that are revealed in this documentary. Have any of them been mended because of this uh, piece that you've done? I'm just curious because y you mentioned throughout the documentary, um, Bob and John haven't talked since 1992. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Nickelodeon executive also. So you're just seeing this destruction that has been left. That's true. Yeah, so not necessarily because of the documentary, but you, you know, it's really interesting. When we started at the very outset, 
saying, we want to do this documentary. We started contacting artists and nobody would call us back because it was like a stranger calling somebody up and saying, hey, we want to talk about that super painful divorce, which was probably the worst professional moment of your life. And we want to make a film about it. So there have been some conversations amongst the artists that have sort of started again. But by and large, it's, you know, I mean, think about it. Ren and Stimpy was was going to be the next you know, John was going to be the next Disney, and all those artists were going to build on that. This and was go going with to, him. yes, exactly. And then that all fell apart. Who came with you? Uh, from did anyone come with you from the film? Vanessa Coffey will be here, and Richard Purcell, who's a writer. Uh, Vanessa was a Nickelodeon executive who greenlit it, and Richard Purcell was uh, John's assistant and later a writer and artist on the show. Yeah. Talk a little about just the, the, the mania of, of creating a, a show like that, because I think that's what we kind of get to. Was it, was it uh, um, John's perfectionism that stalled this, or was it just too much work for not enough people? Uh, it's actually both. Um, I mean, John was an absolute perfectionist. So if, and, and John's sort of philosophy, as you see in the film, is that every, every time the, the art moves forward, it has to be plussed. It has to keep getting better. And if it doesn't get better, then you're going to be punished for that, and you're going to have to make it better. So, um, yeah, I mean, he was a perfectionist, absolutely. Uh, but you also have to remember that these guys were hand-drawing everything. You know, people think now it's all just on a computer, and which it is, but these guys were hand-drawing every single piece, every single frame, you know. So, um yeah. Uh, yeah, as one of the artists said, re remember, animation, you have 24 frames a second. Yeah. How long is that piece? If it's a 10-minute piece, you can imagine the extraordinary number of frames that have to be drawn. Yeah. And it's not like now where what they call the in-between frames are generated by a computer. Those all needed to be drawn. Yeah, yeah I, it's extraordinary. I had, one, I had one more question about how you put this story together because you, you, you're, you're following the tale and then an additional bomb is dropped near the end. And how did you decide when to bring in uh, John's relationship with younger women? It, 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 it took a lot of time in the editing room because the story about Robin Bird uh, that was chronicled in the BuzzFeed article and broke, like I said, when we finished the first version of our film, that all happened after Ren and Stimpy. So from a narrative point of view, that obviously is a, is a huge white elephant. You need to address it. It needs to be threaded throughout the film, but chronologically, it really doesn't fit. So you really need to figure out how do you put that piece of, of the puzzle in so it fits within your three-act structure of the film, but still makes sense in terms of the chronology of, of you know, just a historical timeline. So it just took a lot of back and forth. We were big fans of screening early and often so people could take a look at it, people that we trusted and said, okay, that makes sense, or who is that person and why are you introducing her because she had nothing to do with the show. Um, because the last thing we wanted is that part of the story to just seem like it came out of nowhere. So it was a lot of revisiting John's relationships and destructive relationships with people in the show as well. So it didn't seem like, oh, he was great. And then he was terrible. Wow. Well, it's a really a fascinating look at just, uh, yeah, like I say, just a bit of brilliance and um, passion. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I know you're figuring out what happens from here. Do you guys 
Will, will people yes. be able to see it somewhere? Or? Yeah, so, um, of course, we're premiering here at Sundance, and then there's a number of other festivals that are on the docket, and then we're working with the folks at Submarine, and they are the sales agents, so they're in conversation with a couple different distributors, and so fingers crossed. Okay, well, and best yeah. of luck to you. Thank you. I um, just wanted to mention that it is going to play, let's see, tomorrow afternoon locally here at the library, Tuesday at 3.30, Wednesday the 29th at the Mark at 11.30, and then again Thursday at the Prospector Theater um, at 11.30 p.m., midnight yeah. showing there. Yes, <laughs> that'll right. be a fun one. Hey, thanks for spending some time Thank with us. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Sundance Reel here on KPCW. Tune in and find out about some of the unknown and talented independent filmmakers from around the world. Join us for the Sundance Reel each weekday morning between 9 and 10. We'll highlight some of the most intriguing films being presented at this year's Sundance Film Festival. That's the Sundance Reel weekday mornings from 9 to 10 through January 31st, right here on KPCW or online, kpcw.org. The Sundance Reel is brought to you in part by Sundance Institute, presenting the 2020 Sundance Film Festival from January 23rd through February 2nd. And Acura, proud 10-year sponsor of the festival and supporter of independent film and music. Learn more at Acura.com.